Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, and also Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Hear the word of God. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <clears throat> and from Luke chapter seven, verse 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in a series focusing on the theme of taking up our role in the mission of God. God is a missionary God, and he includes us in his mission. And if you remember last week, we saw that one way we can join in God's mission is by taking up the practice of blessing others, doing others good with our words, our actions, and our resources. These can be small things, simple things. In other words, this is not mission impossible. You know, there are a lot of things we can't do. None of us can pilot a spaceship to the moon. None of us can hit a home run in a major league baseball game. But all of us can do this. We can practice blessing others with our words and our actions and our resources. Well, it, it gets even easier this week because what we see is that another way we can take up our role in the mission of God is by eating. My guess is you know how to eat. You already have the basic skill needed for this. It does get a little more challenging though because the practice isn't simply to eat, but to eat with others and even more to eat with anyone and everyone. Well, let's, let's dig into our passage to see how this unfolds. Um, we, we see this call to eat with anyone and everyone first just in Jesus' own relationship with Levi. You know, the whole relationship is surprising. In the first place, no one would have expected Jesus to call someone like Levi to be a disciple. Levi was a tax collector, and tax collectors were despised and hated by the people. Some tax collectors, <clears throat> they would make daily rounds and would force people to pay more than what the law required so that they could pad their own pockets. Others, like Levi, would sit in their booths and charge a kind of toll tax on all travelers passing by. So Levi was a Jew working for the Romans. I mean, that's a huge strike against him. No Jewish person who cared about God's law would do any kind of business with the Romans. Levi's partnering with them. That makes him ritually unclean. He's partnering with them as a tax collector. And that's another strike against him. His profession depended on taking more than what was required, defrauding, embezzling, basically taking as much money as he could get away with. So he's morally suspect. Imagine you've got to cross the James to get over to the south side and you're taking the Powai and um, you don't have an easy pass. And so you have to go through the full service lane and the guy in the booth, he refuses to open the gate for you unless you pay him $5 for a toll that would normally be 70 cents. So you probably wouldn't like this guy. You'd probably be pretty upset and frustrated and angry. Well, in the Roman system, this was business as usual. And there really wasn't much anyone could do about it because the government backed this kind of practice. Even if 
Levi was an honest tax collector personally, he would still have been hated just for being part of this corrupt system. He would have been considered a perpetrator of injustice simply because tax collectors so often use their position to cheat people. But it gets worse. In Jesus' day, faithful Jews were expecting a day when God would defeat the Romans and reestablish his kingdom, give the land back to Israel. And the Romans were seen as God's enemies, and the tax collectors had aligned themselves with the Romans, which means that the tax collectors were seen as God's enemies. And Levi is a tax collector, which means that Levi is seen as God's enemy. And so here he is, he's sitting in his booth by the road, he's collecting taxes from all who pass by, he's being cursed and insulted and scorned day after day after day. And then one day, Jesus comes by and there's no grumbling, there's no insult, no scorn. Jesus treats Levi like a human being and he simply says, follow me. And then Levi does it, he gets up and he goes with Jesus. Jesus calls into his company a man whose morals are questionable at best, and who is without question ritually unclean. So just that fact that Jesus initiated a relationship with Levi is meant to be surprising to us. Jesus calls this guy. But it gets even more shocking because next Jesus goes to his house for dinner. And not just dinner, a great feast. This was a party. Luke tells us that there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. <clears throat> we find out who these others were in the very next verse. Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the others were sinners. Jesus is feasting here with tax collectors and sinners. In order to understand the significance of this, we need to get a handle on what Luke means when he uses the word sinner. What does it mean to say that Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners? Aren't we all sinners? I mean, Roman tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sure, that's good. Um, but that's not what Luke means. What Luke means is more along the lines of what is meant by the wicked of the Psalms. For example, listen to the first Psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. <clears throat> the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, we're not talking about people who from time to time transgress God's law. We're talking about people who live fundamentally outside of and apart from God's law. It's not just that they aren't good at keeping the law. They aren't even interested in keeping the law. And they aren't interested in God's law because they aren't really interested in God. At least they don't think they are. But they turn out to be interested in Jesus. These are people who Jesus eats with. Especially in Luke's gospel, we see this happening over and over again. One commentator points out that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either coming from a meal, or he's at a meal, or he's on his, on his way to a meal. Um, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is just constantly eating and drinking with people. This is how Jesus does mission. He eats 
and he drinks. He sits down and he feasts with the enemies of God. I wonder who do you eat with? Who do we eat with? You know, in that culture, eating with someone was um, a sign of, of intimacy. It was a sign of relational closeness. Reclining together around the table <clears throat> for a shared meal, it, it was this intimate sign of friendship and fellowship. It was a way of saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be like family with you. Here's how one New Testament scholar puts it. Quote, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Close quote. Jesus made it his regular practice to eat with tax collectors and sinners, to eat with people who were hated and excluded, to eat with people who weren't interested in religion or who felt like religion had nothing for them. And that family is the invitation for us to take up our role in God's mission by eating and drinking with everyone and to do it with no strings attached. You see, we have to ask, what was it about what Jesus was doing that so rankled the Pharisees and the scribes? I mean, why is their reaction to Jesus always grumbling? I think it's the scandalous grace on display. They see that Jesus' friendship with sinners, it's not conditional. He doesn't say, I'll come eat and drink with you if. He's not making his relationship with them dependent on them them changing their lives. Uh, He simply befriends sinners. He eats and he drinks with them. Now, there is a call to repentance here. Jesus says that he's come to call sinners to repentance. But what's so important to see, I think, is that he didn't make the relationship hang on that. He doesn't say, repent, and then if you do that, we can feast together. Instead, he says, let's party. Let's feast together. And then maybe near the end of the meal, he says something like, if this is what God is like, if God is the kind of God who sits down and eats and drinks with his enemies. Don't you want to change direction? Don't you want to realign your life with the values of this God? Maybe he does that, we don't know. What we do know is that in what Luke tells us, Jesus doesn't bring up the topic of repentance in response to the tax collectors and sinners. He brings it up in response to the Pharisees and the scribes. In the parallel passage in Mark, Jesus doesn't even mention repentance. Jesus simply says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, anyway, the point is this. Jesus doesn't wait for the tax collectors and sinners to stop being tax collectors and sinners. He extends hospitality and fellowship to them as tax collectors and sinners, which means that if these people did end up repenting and changing their lives, it wasn't so that they could get Jesus' friendship or fellowship or favor. It was because they already had it. If they did turn from their evil ways, it wasn't in order to get Jesus on their side, but because they knew that Jesus was already on their side unconditionally. If they repented, it was the kindness of Jesus that led them there. Who do you eat with? Who do we eat with? I wonder, are we more like Jesus or are we more like the scribes and Pharisees? 
Are we at the table with the enemies of God? Or are we standing off to the side, shaking our heads and grumbling? What if the church were to go out into the world eating and drinking with the enemies of God? What if people who feel far from God could know Jesus is for them because we have embraced the practice of eating with everyone? What if this is still God's missionary strategy to feast with tax collectors and sinners? What if this is one of the main ways people come to know and trust the love of God in their lives? Simple acts of hospitality and shared meals without any kind of condition lurking in the shadows. I wonder if maybe our religion gets in the way. You know, at its heart, religion is about doing things to get God. It's about getting our lives into the right kind of condition so that God will bless us, reward us, answer our prayers. It's all about getting ourselves ready and fit to sit down and feast with God. And the only way to be ready for that, religion says, is to be righteous. But what does Jesus say? He says, I haven't come to call the righteous. <laughs> he's, he's come to call the people who aren't righteous. The religious people desperately want fellowship with God and they plan to get it by living righteously. But now here is God become flesh, walking and living among them. And they refuse to sit down in fellowship at the table with him because he's surrounded by the wicked. Jesus feasts with tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and sinners are experiencing the kingdom of God. I mean, they are feasting with Jesus. And the religious people are shaking their heads on the sidelines. And where are we, I wonder? At the table, feasting, or on the sidelines, grumbling? Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is Jesus saying here? I mean, is he suggesting that there are plenty of people who aren't sick? Plenty of people who already have their lives together, who don't need to repent and who are therefore okay without Jesus? Jesus came for the unrighteous, and if you can somehow figure out how to be righteous without him, so much the better. No, it's more like Jesus is saying, I've come for the unrighteous. I've come for the people whose lives are just a mess. <laughs> I've come for the enemies of God. And if you think you're not in that category, you're going to miss me. I've come for the sick. So if you think you have no need for a doctor, you're going to miss me. Religion would say that the good people are in and the bad people are out. The righteous are in and the unrighteous are out. And what does Jesus say about who's in and who's out? Well, <clears throat> In this passage, he doesn't say anything about it. What does he do? He sits down at a table with tax collectors and sinners. Do you think he hung up a sign that said, no scribes and Pharisees allowed to this party? I don't think so. I mean, I think the scribes and Pharisees would have been welcome to sit down, but it looks like they exclude themselves. And one of the greatest ironies ever, their righteousness kept them from feasting with God. See, religion promises to get you, God, but it delivers exclusion from the feast because God isn't eating with the righteous here. He's eating with the sinners. Who do we eat with? We take up our royal family and the mission of God by eating with everyone. 
And I wonder how you might build a practice of this into your life. You know, assuming that you eat about 21 meals each week, that's 21 opportunities to join God on mission already built into your schedule. In his little book, Surprise the World, the missiologist Michael Frost challenges us to form a habit of eating with at least three people each week and making at least one of those people someone who isn't part of our church. That sets the bar pretty low. I bet we could handle that. I bet we could do that. But more than that, I wonder what it would look like for us to intentionally extend hospitality and to sit down at the table with the tax collectors and sinners of our day. The people who religion says are outsiders. The people who the psalmist might put in the category of the wicked. It's not just that they don't obey God's law. They don't even care about obeying God's law. You see, family, Jesus loves these people. And how can we love them too? By eating with them. If we're going to be a church that feasts with the enemies of God... We need to see that we were the enemies of God and that in some corners of our hearts, we still are the enemies of God and that nevertheless, Jesus welcomes us to his table. Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners and he still does. He invites us to join him at his table of grace. How can he do that? You know, Psalm 1 tells us that the way of the righteous will flourish and the wicked will perish. Well, here is a righteous one. Here is the righteous one. Here is the one who responded to the grace of God with perfect faithfulness and obedience. He offered the faithful human response to God for sinners like you and me. He did it in a way that counts for us in our place. But then at the end of his life, we don't see him flourishing as a righteous man. We see him perishing as the wicked. We see him being blown away like chaff. We see that because we see him bearing all of our sin in himself and bearing all the consequences of it and bearing them away. As we come to the table for communion, see that Jesus can welcome you here because your unrighteousness and faithlessness and failures and sin, they aren't a barrier to his loving you. He has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. You know, communion is is usually thought of as one of the most religious things churches do. In reality, this is one of the most scandalous, unreligious practices in the universe. Because here we remember that God justifies the ungodly. Here we celebrate the reality that God saves sinners. But more than that, here... God himself sits down and he eats with his enemies. Enemies who are becoming friends, friends who have been adopted as children. Here, God looks at you and he really sees you. And he says, I want you to be my family. Believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.